Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome to the latest edition of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. My name is Victor Lee, a legal affairs writer with the ABA Journal. And joining us today is John Suh, the current CEO of LegalZoom. It's hardly an understatement to say that LegalZoom has revolutionized the legal industry ever since its inception in 2001. John is the current CEO of LegalZoom, having served in that capacity since 2007, although he has been involved with the company since its inception. Prior to LegalZoom, he headed two internet-based companies. He was CEO of Studio Direct, the internet division of a global supply chain company, and he was also the CEO of Castling Group, a company that helped retailers launch their online operations. At LegalZoom, he has overseen a dramatic expansion of the company, most recently acquiring Beaumont Legal, a law firm in the UK. He has a BA from Harvard University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. Welcome, John. Thank you again for taking time off from your lovely vacation and joining us here today. My pleasure, Victor. So tell me, um, obviously, LegalZoom inspires a lot of emotion, uh, people that like them, people that don't like them. Before we get into any questions, could you just talk a little bit about uh, LegalZoom? Give us a quick you know, five-minute elevator speech that you would give to someone if they don't know anything about your company. Sure. Really, the mission of LegalZoom is to democratize law. I think a lot of attention is placed on uh, big law, the, the 200 largest law firms and the corporate clients and high net worth individuals they serve. And then, uh, you know, we're really focused on barbells, big law on one side, and then access to justice for those below the poverty line on the other. So you kind of got one segment of the top 1% of companies and individuals, and on the other, uh, 15% of Americans below the poverty line. Really, for LegalZoom, we focus on the average American and small business owner. So we really deal with 84% in the middle. And what we try and shine a light on is the fact that access to justice has spiraled out of control and is now in a crisis situation. When you look at pro se, meaning someone who represents themselves because they largely can't afford a lawyer, in, in 1970 in California, for family courts where you're trying to decide spouse support and child support and really critical issues, only 1% of Californians were pro se. That's grown to 67% 30 years later. So while we've doubled the density of lawyers, we've actually radically diminished access to the law. And really, that's the heart of what LegalZoom tries to do. And really, we've built the business in three chapters. In chapter one, we started with online legal documents, whether that was a trademark or a will or incorporation. In chapter two, um, and chapter one is really the first 10 years of LegalZoom. When you think of chapter two, we added legal plans where we work hand-in-hand with boutique law firms and integrated lawyers into our platform. And really between 2010 and 2015 of Chapter 2, we've done over 200,000 one-on-one consultations between individuals and lawyers licensed in their state. And now we've really embarked on Chapter 3. We're seeking to integrate lawyers into our full supply chain and really reimagining the delivery of legal services to get the highest level of quality while offering price points that are affordable to the average American. So let's take each one of those individually. So when you're talking documents and uh, people being able to use your service if they don't have access to justice, how would someone 
avail themselves of LegalZoom and, and, and their documents? And what is the importance of being able to generate their own documents as opposed to, you know, trying to uh, hire a lawyer that maybe they can't afford? Well, again, um, no longer do you have to choose between technology that creates a document and a lawyer. At LegalZoom, you can both have technology create a document and then have a one-on-one consultation with a lawyer to ensure it's the right document for your needs. And if you need further customization, they can also perform that as well. So I'd say the, the difference with LegalZoom is in Chapter 1, all we offered was an online legal document, and we really were an alternative to a lawyer. When you think about Chapter 2 and 3, what we've essentially done is offered affordable legal documents for the most common legal needs, and complement that with one-on-one consultations with lawyers. Ultimately, we've always believed that lawyers are essential to the quality of any kind of legal solution. And, you know, our purpose is really to be a platform of people and technology, and lawyers are an essential component to the people equation. In the intro, I talked about the Beaumont Legal Acquisition. You guys purchased that law firm in the UK in late 2015. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that acquisition and how that fits in with your, like you said, your plan of kind of creating a next generation law firm. And could you just talk a little bit about the regulatory differences in the United Kingdom and why you were able to do this deal in the UK and maybe not here in the US? Sure. Keep in mind that the, the Beaumont acquisition was only just blessed by the SRA last week, uh, something that we had papered in December. So this is something quite fresh. So when it, when it with regards to the strategy and what we're going to do with it, much is to be developed in conjunction with the team there. However, as to your central question as to why we can do that in the UK, in the UK, we operate under the Legal Services Act, which has created a new set of entities called ABSs, or Alternative Business Structures. And really, when Parliament had looked at access to justice uh, for the middle class and for business owners, they had seen costs spiraling out of control. And, and when they looked at what the solution would require, they knew it would be a combination of capital and people. And when they looked at that, they said, hey, we, the current regulatory scheme doesn't allow the infusion of capital as an equity investment or recruiting cross-functional team members to the company. So they created a set of regulations. It's not what I would call deregulation, but rather an, a separate set of regulations for entities that essentially allow you to practice law. So the corporate practice of law for example, that we have here in the U.S. is fundamentally upended in the U.K., they've realized the only way to create new legal solutions and create greater access to justice is to allow new entrants and new capital, and they've permitted that within their regulatory scheme. It's still highly regulated, but it allows entrepreneurs in conjunction with lawyers to create fundamentally different legal solutions without a tremendous amount of kind of regulatory hurdles to overcome. What were some of the reasons behind your decision to acquire this law firm, LegalZoom uh, is doing fine on its own without having a law firm attached to it. You know, what were sort of the reasons that caused you to decide, okay, this is what we have to do at this point? Well, I'd say it was less about acquiring a law firm and more about partnering with Beaumont Legal. I think the leadership team there thirsted for a technology solution. They're one of the leaders in the UK. Uh, they do very high-volume transactions in conveyancing. It's a legal practice area that doesn't really exist in the U.S. And we felt, hey, we have got similar culture, similar values, and we believed ultimately we would achieve our goals in the U.K. much faster via partnering or acquiring a law firm rather than trying to build one from scratch. In the 
U.S., we've created solutions with a very high sensitivity to unauthorized practice of law on one side and the corporate practice of law on the other. So for us to create solutions, sometimes we need to take five or six steps to go from point A to point B, whereas in the U.K., the regulatory environment allows us to go in a straight line and do it in a single step. So in many ways, it's much easier for us to innovate and create new solutions in the U.K., and we felt the acquisition of Beaumont was a critical first step, so we would have a high-quality fulfillment engine that would really fuel the rest of our solutions going forward. And uh, I know we talked about this yesterday, but is this going to be part of the plan going forward to look at other law firms to acquire, or are you just kind of see how this one shakes out before you make any decisions about you know what the next step is with regards to getting law firms on board or joining up with other firms? Sure. You know, it's still very much in the early going, but I would say if I had to look into a crystal ball of what could be reality three years from now, I'd say it'd be a combination of our own law firm in Beaumont Legal and partnering with many other law firms across the UK. So I think our solution of partnering with lawyers would be a combination of some services that we can perform in-house and other services that we partner out for. All of which, though, will be I think, united under our common platform of technology. One thing that these podcasts are supposed to do is just reflect on you know, the changes that you've seen throughout your tenure at LegalZoom and whatnot. And what do you think are sort of the, in terms of attitude towards your company or attitudes of lawyers with regards to technology, what do you think has been the biggest change in, in just how your company has been perceived? I'd say it's interesting. Up until recently, I think there have been a lot of misperceptions of LegalZoom fueled by fear. And the reality is that, I think Natalie Kiroff had already reported this uh, at Bloomberg, that when you look at roughly the last 30 years or so, uh, looking at from call it 1988 to 2012, real incomes of the 354,000 solo practitioners in the U.S. today have dropped on a real basis from 70,000 in 1988 to 49,000 in 2012. So, obviously, for most of that, LegalZoom did not exist. So the economic realities of the solo practitioner have been challenged for many, many years. In that environment, when LegalZoom came about, all of a sudden we became a bit of the boogeyman. <laughs> People were fearing, hey, this is the cause. Or, you know, and, and frankly, we're a small dent. <laughs> we take a very small share uh, of the legal industry, you know, less than 1% of the market. So our impact is, frankly, muted by the fact that we have very little market share. But I think it's the idea and their imaginations went to some terminator of law where, you know, technology and machines overwhelmed human beings in the practice of law. And it's kind of silly when you look back on it. But, you know, for those that are facing a very challenging career, you know, you've got $200,000 of debt and you've got income levels in the forty dollars or $50,000 range, that becomes a very difficult economic reality and of people reacting out of fear. And really, when you look at the first... 10 years of the business, there are many challenges as to whether LegalZoom would exist. I'm very happy that those are largely behind us. Uh, we operate our legal plan in 48, soon to be 49 states. We spend one-tenth on UPL, what we did five years ago. And most importantly, the tone of leadership at the American Bar Association, uh, from especially immediate past president William Hubbard, uh, and many of the other state bar presidents, you know, there's been a real shift in it, particularly the last 18 months, where people have stopped thinking about, hey, what are the walls we can erect 
to protect the legal industry from any external innovation to, hey, how do we employ technology to create access to justice? So, you know, for every UPL inquiry, of which there are very few and far between these days, um, we probably have 10 invitations to converse with various state bar or American bar leaders to think through how can they employ technology and create greater access to justice. So I'm sorry, you mentioned uh, 48 states, soon to be 49 states. What's the state that you guys are not in? We are currently uh, not in Michigan and Tennessee. Uh, we're addressing those shortly. I think six months ago, we were only in 42 states. And shortly after, uh, we resolved our situation with North Carolina. Five other states, uh, or sorry, four other states immediately uh, authorized our legal plan. So I guess to close with that, I mean, you talked about sort of what the future holds uh, in the UK. But what about for the United States? Uh, you are still constrained by the UPL laws. And what are some things that are, um, that are on the agenda for you uh, as you move forward in the United States? When I compare and contrast the U.S. and the U.K., in, in both areas, the future is bright. In the U.K., we have a greenfield opportunity to tackle the delivery of legal services without a lot of restriction. But in the U.S., we can still do quite a bit in terms of re-engineering the delivery of legal services. And uh, the team is already focused on moving certain categories to 100% attorney delivery. I expect over the next five years, we're probably going to be working with thirty to 50,000 lawyers in the U.S. So I think the next chapter for the U.S. is really a complete integration of lawyers into our supply chain. So in both areas, I think that's quite interesting. We've pivoted the business a number of times, and uh, we're pretty happy and uh, excited about what the future holds. That was what we had for this episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. I'd like to thank John Suff for taking time off from his important vacation and joining us here today. Okay, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us today, John. This has been the ABA Journal's Legal Rebels podcast. This is Victor Lee, and thank you very much for joining us. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, Find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.